Welcome to the Passion and Purpose Podcast. I'm Dr. Adam Sheck, and I'd like to thank you all for being here. If this is your first time listening to the Passion and Purpose Podcast, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a clinical psychologist licensed in the state of California. I've worked as a psychotherapist, a couples counselor, and a relationship coach since 1991. I work with my clients both in my office in Los Angeles, as well as around the world through telephone and Skype. My areas of expertise are supporting my individual clients in finding their passion and purpose in life, and in helping committed couples reignite the passion in their relationships. During these podcasts, I share my thoughts and techniques for doing this, and I also often interview other experts and thought leaders in the community about how they cultivate passion and purpose. To find out more about me, you may go to my main website, www.thepassiondoctor.com. Or if you're serious about transformation and would like to schedule a complimentary consultation, you may call me at 323-487-1140. That's 323-487-1140. Enough about me. Let's get started with the informational portion of today's program. Today, I'll be focusing on relationship issues, and particularly on what I call the psychology of attraction and the stages of relationship. In other podcasts, I'll focus more on life purpose and what I call mission And in some podcasts, we'll combine the topics of relationships, passion, and life purpose. Today, I'll share with you some powerful information on relationships by addressing a few of the many email questions that I receive from my potential clients in the area of relationships and passion. Here's the first question. Dr. Sheck, I love my husband but I don't feel attracted to him anymore. What can I do? To answer this question fully, I have to speak a little bit about the psychological theory that I believe explains why we come together as couples and a little bit about the stages of a relationship. This is the theory that forms the basis of Imago relationship therapy, which is an extremely powerful form of couples counseling that I'm certified in. Imago is Latin for image and refers to that internalized image we have of our partner. You can learn more about Imago on my website, thepassiondoctor.com. Back to the psychology of attraction. You know the saying, that cliche, that truism, that you marry your mother, that you marry your father? Well, from a psychological perspective, there's a great deal of truth to this for many of us. As infants, as toddlers, as young children, we're like sponges. We absorb everything that's happening around us. All of the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes. And we also notice on a deep level how our primary caregivers interact with each other. And we label that love. Everything we notice is part of that template, part of that blueprint for love. All of the good that we witness and all of the not so good. We are sponges. We are wide open. We don't judge or discriminate at this point. 
We simply take it all into our internal computer, into our neural network. And so we're ultimately attracted to people that embody the best and the worst qualities of our primary caregivers. For many, this is our mom and dad, but could also be extended family in in, uh, many cases these days. Could be friends, uh, family of friends, anyone else that's involved in your life, in your child rearing. And when you encounter a potential romantic partner who demonstrates enough of these qualities, both what we would label as the good and what we'd label as the bad, we fall in love. We're launched into that first stage of relationship, that honeymoon stage, which I also call, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, romantic delusion. On some level, opposites attract, and incompatibility is the basis of attraction. That's why nature, or God, or evolution, or spirit, or all the above, generates these chemicals in our, in our brains so that we can stay together long enough to perpetuate the species. It's not a romantic notion, yet that is the, the science behind it. Our brains drug us with neurotransmitters like PEA, phenethylamine, which is a stimulant, It's also in chocolate. And oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone, the cuddle drug. We hear a lot about that in the news these days. So psychologically and physiologically speaking, romantic love is pretty much a chemical reaction. There's more to it, of course, yet that's what we're focusing on for for this discussion. PEA acts like methamphetamine, while oxytocin acts like an opiate. And with these love hormones and neurotransmitters surging through our bodies, we don't eat as much, we don't need to sleep as much, we want sex all the time. Literally, we're drugged into this euphoric, elated, exhilarated state. Sound familiar? In Imago, we call this romantic love nature's anesthesia. And at this point, everything our partner does is perfect. It's cute. It's adorable. We only see the positive things. And we, we reframe the negative. So it's cute the way he leaves the toilet seat up and, and you fall in. It's adorable the way she lost my car keys and I can't get to work. We focus on the positive qualities of our partner that we're attracted to, and we ignore the negative ones at this point. Eventually, we build a tolerance to the drugs that are flooding our system. It usually will take about three to six months up to a year or two at the most, and then it starts to wear down. We're not in that same euphoric state, and we're left in the second stage of relationships, and that's the power struggle. And now we begin to see who we're really with, and we begin to see those negative qualities in our partner that we previously ignored or didn't really care about or take a big notice of. At this point, many couples can't handle what they've gotten themselves into, and they break up. Others just white-knuckle it and hope it will improve. Some will seek professional help, and the research shows in long-term relationships they usually won't seek help until six or seven years after there's a problem. And that's a problem. And those couples that do choose to break up at that point generally will find themselves attracted to someone who shares many of the same common characteristics with their previous relationships. How could it not be? They're still using the same blueprint, the same imago template. 
And really, there's nothing wrong with this. Because from my perspective, this really is what's supposed to happen. Conflict is supposed to happen in relationships. It gives us an opportunity to deal with our childhood issues and our wounds. This really is nature, God, evolution's way of giving us an opportunity to grow, to heal ourselves, and to provide a place of healing for our partner. Just think about that. It's a different way of viewing this relationship as a healing crucible. So we have the opportunity to heal ourselves in relationship, and yet most of us don't know how to do that. It is possible, though. It is an opportunity with the right tools, focus. And finally, when we begin to work out some of these issues within ourselves and the power struggle begins to subside, we enter the third stage of relationship, which is called the conscious relationship. And here we're more at peace with ourselves and our partner. We're clear about who we are, what we want, how to ask for it, and how to be there for our partner as well as ourselves. We become more responsive to our partner and less reactive. And the passion can be even deeper and richer than in the honeymoon phase. So, back to the original question. I'm not attracted to my husband anymore. What I would suggest is that your relationship has moved through that honeymoon stage and you're smack in the middle of the power struggle. And as I said, this is normal and natural, and it can be worked through. You can get to the other side and be in a conscious, loving relationship. You simply need the knowledge, the support, and the tools to do that. And and of course, I can't share with you three to six months of couples coaching on this call, but I'd recommend reading some of my blog posts about these type of relationship topics. I've written extensively about that at the Passion Doctor website. So check that out. Take it from there. Next question. Dr. Adam, we fight all of the time. Is that healthy? What can we do? The research indicates that so-called high-conflict couples, high-conflict couples that fight all the time, whatever that means, uh, are no more or less likely to stay together than low-conflict couples. And to me, this is uh, fighting, arguing, bickering, emotional conflict. If there's physical conflict, physical fighting, domestic violence, that's a whole different creature. And that's, that's not what I'm addressing here. This is just, we get into heated conflict a lot. So again, to me, conflict means that you're in the power struggle stage of your relationship. And what I believe is that couples are seeking connection. We want to feel that connection with each other, that aliveness, that excitement, that sense of well-being. And it's an emotional, physical, and spiritual connection we're craving. So even though it sounds a little strange, as, as I've said before, I believe that that conflict can be the motivating force for healing and growth in relationships. I believe that the conflict couples experience after that honeymoon period is really necessary because conflict points out those areas where we don't get our needs met. And unmet unmet needs are what create a breakdown in connection. And once we're not connected with our partner, that's the end of passion and intimacy. That destroys it. 
the, the key issue for couples is connection, reestablishing that connection. And that's the challenge, as many couples don't know how to navigate the power struggle, and eventually they'll break up or they'll settle for a less than satisfying relationship. So to get back to connection, which is what, what the question really is about here, we need to create safety and passion. We want that emotional safety to, to be ourselves, to be open and honest, to feel accepted and understood. With the safety comes deep connection. And from this nurturing environment of safety, of connection, that's when passion can arise and be sustained. And I'm talking about sexual passion, of course, but also about so much more emotional passion, the freedom to be spontaneous, to express who we are, to be intimate and excited by our lives. That's also a key desire. And expressing and meeting those needs creates that healthy, passionate relationship. This is the work that I do with couples. I teach them to create that emotional safety, give them tools for that, which will allow them to recognize and express their needs consciously, not have to act them out. And from this place of safety and, and satisfied needs, the conscious, passionate relationship can develop. And the need for conflict, for conflict, it no longer will exist at that point when we're getting our needs to met. What's to, what's to fight about? Certainly it will be minimized. Next question. What can we do when one partner is more committed to intimacy and romance? Another similar question I've gotten is, what do we do when, we, when our need for physical affection and touch is out of balance? when one wants more of it than the other. I may sound like a broken record today, and yet I really believe that a big part of the issue here, of the imbalance, may be that the couple is acting out the power struggle in the area of intimacy and romance. Someone is quite possibly withholding their affection, their romance, their intimacy, as a way to exert some control, as a way to feel some sense of power in the relationship. And of course, this isn't the best approach. The solution is learning to stretch in the relationship, to stretch out of your comfort zone. The necessity to stretch is true for any relationship. And it's true for any issue that comes up in the relationship, not just the romance, sexuality, physical contact issue. But I'll work with that issue as an example, since that's what was brought up. Let's say that one member of the couple was raised in a family that was very touchy-feely and was hugged and kissed and petted and had their hair stroke growing up, and that's how they knew they were loved. And let's say that the other partner, since opposites attract, was raised in a very cool, intellectual, sterile, non-touching environment. They knew they were loved by having mom or dad ask about what they read or what they learned in school or by helping them with homework or with projects. This is an extreme, but let's just use it for our example here. Let's go for it. So for this couple, what's wanted from one partner is probably the hardest thing that they could probably provide. It goes against their family history, their, their values. And this is the genius of the process of coming together as a couple and, and using this Imago model to, to heal. Let's assume that the non-touching partner was drawn initially to the touching partner because they wanted to experience touch. They're receiving it, but and 
they're not sure how to give it. They're not comfortable with it. They give love in a different way. They're not wrong. They're just different. And in order to grow and provide the touching partner with what they want, which is more touch, the non-touch partner has to really stretch past their comfort zone and do what wasn't done in their family. And this is challenging. And of course, there's an emotional reaction to it and resistance. We can all relate to that and, and to growing pains. And yet, if we see it as growing pains, as we see it as um, intellectually, as we see what's going on, we can be more compassionate of our partner and know the, the struggle they're, they're in there to give us what we want and to be the person that they want. If we can understand that and know that they're making an effort, we can also make an effort to make them feel loved. And then they become more willing to move through those growing pains, to give to their partner. And at the same time, by giving, they will grow and stretch and become more of the person they wanted to be. Now they're stretching to be that person who can give physical affection or touch. How perfect is that? So that is the theory behind the stretch, behind the, the uh, imago match, the disparity there. And of course, it takes willingness commitment and practice to get there. And sometimes some professional help and encouragement is important as well. Next question. Dr. Sheck, I'm getting married soon and I'm really afraid of divorce as I come from a family of poor role models when it comes to a happy marriage. What can I do? Again, it probably will take a little more than this brief podcast to help you, but I believe the following information might get you started. To understand your fears, you need to understand your brain. In actuality, our brain is really three brains, what is scientifically called a tripartite brain. Three parts, tri, a triangle. At the base of our brain is the part called the reptilian brain or the lizard brain, and we share that with, with all animals, including alligators and, and lizards. The reptilian brain takes care of those things that we don't usually think about. Heartbeat, digestion, breathing, it's, it's all the automatic pieces. And more important to this question, though, it's also concerned with our survival. When we're in danger, it will respond in one of five basic ways. Fight, flight, freeze, or play dead, play possum, submit, or hide. And these are the basic survival skills we use in our relationships as well. Fight, flight, freeze. Have you ever stonewalled your partner? Submit. Okay, whatever you want, just don't nag me anymore. Or hide. Go to another room, leave the house. So all of this is done, of course, at an unconscious level, below the level of thought. That's the, that's the lizard brain. The second part of our brain is the limbic system, also known as the mammalian brain. And we have it in common with all m mammals. And it's the part of the brain that allows us to experience our feelings. Again, that feeling of fear mentioned in this question is connected to survival. And the third part of our brain is the cerebral cortex. And that's five times bigger than the other two parts combined. 
it's what we've evolved over time, and it's where our speech, writing, math, and, and thought come from. So these are the three parts. And it's also important to recognize that the, the lizard brain really, and the, the whole brain actually, it really can't distinguish between something that's really happening and something that's happening in our thoughts and our imagination. So psychological fear, uh, danger is interpreted as much as a true physical danger and triggers this system. So all parts of the brain are working together. And if I'm experiencing fear of divorce, I experience it first of all, primarily as a deep survival fight or flight reaction through the lizard brain, the reptilian brain. I experience the emotion of fear through the mammalian brain, the limbic system. And I experience all of my thoughts and logic that are streaming around it uh, through the cerebral cortex. So it's all going on in there. And I hope this explanation of the three-part brain might help you to be a little more compassionate with yourself about your fears. There are ways to cope with them, to reduce them, to, to relax and, and breathe and let go. There are many mindfulness techniques, uh, meditation techniques. Again, there's not really time in this short podcast to come up with a personal plan for you. If it becomes too big an issue, I'm happy to offer consultation and, and take it from there. But that is the tripartite brain. And that wraps up this Passion and Purpose podcast. My focus in this podcast has been on the psychology of attraction in relationships and how to negotiate that power struggle stage. In future podcasts, we'll be discussing relationship issues for singles, as well as strategies for connecting to your purpose in, in life, to your mission. As a reminder, I blog about relationships at my website, www thepassiondoctor.com. You can download some special reports there, including my special report, 21 Rituals for Romance. You can learn more about me and my relationship coaching work in LA and outside of LA by telephone and Skype there as well. Finally, if you're serious about working with me to create more passion and purpose in your life, I offer a complimentary 20-minute telephone consultation. And you can call to schedule that at 323 323- 487-1140. That's 323-487-1140. I'm Dr. Adam Sheck. This has been the Passion and Purpose Podcast. Thank you for listening.